Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Listening to Ashburn Millwall Emergency Broadcasting Special, a public service broadcast made on behalf of the Real Millwall Fan Show and Ashburn Millwall, broadcasting from South Bermondsey. Big welcome to a special edition. Well, it's going to be a special series of editions, listeners, of Ashburn Millwall Stroke Real Millwall Fan Show mashup combined. Um, I want to welcome Michael Avery to the show. Welcome, Michael. Afternoon, Nick. Afternoon, listeners. Hope everyone's safe and healthy at this time. Indeed. Um, we are remotely uh, recording this, so anyone with any, any safety concerns out there, um, we are in opposite sides of London at the moment. Um, but we thought it might be quite nice to, like a few others are doing online, there's, there's been a nostalgia thing going around at the moment Mike, on, on, online, and I thought it might be quite nice for us to each of the, of the guys on the show to each discuss their their favourite seasons um, and any any related bits and pieces as we as we go along. Um, we used to do our listed lines questions, listeners, and I thought I might revive that, and this might be a nice way to revive it as I'm talking to Michael now. So, um, Michael, do you want to reveal your favourite season, mate? What, 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 what season are we talking about now? Well, for somebody who's lucky enough to uh, grow up during the times of uh, one Jimmy Nicholl, um, <laughs> Nigel Spackman, Ian Holloway, and etc. Uh, etc. Et it's uh, out. No, yeah, I've, yeah I, I've gone for. Um, I've gone for. It, it was a tough one, and this has unfortunately pissed off Harry a bit. But um, I've gone for the uh, 2009-10 season. That's a great choice of a season. It is a classic season, and it's amazing. It's ten years ago. It's amazing how the time flies because. When when Michael said he wanted to do this season, I thought, yeah, fantastic choice. And then I sat down for, for a moment, at least a blank sheet of paper, trying to think of what I could remember. But thankfully, the online resources are um, fantastic nowadays. And, and uh, I've had a look at the, the YouTube goals and, uh, you know, the, 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 the games through the season. So um, first up, the first thing that struck me, Michael, and I don't know what impressions you retain of that 10 years ago season, but Kenny Jacket, um, I mean, in many ways, the story of the season was Kenny Jacket's story, wasn't it? It was, it was um, a triumph for the man, really, when you look back at it. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely agree. Because um, as as listeners to this show will know, and and obviously 
you and you and the boys, Nick. Kenny Jacket is, and I'll say it, is, is the best manager I've seen at Millwall in my lifetime. I know everyone talks about George Graham and the Doc, and young yeah. listeners will this say about uh, Neil Harris, who was a great manager. But I think what what Kenny did and Harry literally revolutionised the club in the sense that we we was on our knees when he first took over. We um, were looking at relegation. We're looking at relegation yeah, to League Two. Um, he took over from Donerkey. I think it was in 2007 he took over. Um, <clears throat> my notes here, Kenny Jacket, um, he basically stabilised the relegation situation because that's what we were looking at at the time that he came in. Yeah, exactly. And and I remember, um, as everyone else will remember, you'd, you'd be looking at players out there and you'd think, you know, these aren't sort of Millwall players. You know, you'd have... Ree Sevens as a as an option as a goalkeeper and Lenny Pidgeley's and Chris Day's and all of these players who Chris who Day has a name signing. wow yeah and then they got to a point worryingly where Chris Day was being tagged as our number one because Pidgeley was so bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's strange doing this because I, I I mean I didn't look at Chris Day but I, I looked I was looking obviously at 2009-10 you look at the the players that came in and left that season and some of the names you you, you forget um that summertime Ahmed Bergovic you remember him? Yeah. <laughs> he left he yeah. left this summer um but Chris Day there's another name from the depths of, of your memory yeah. I've forgotten all about yeah, him James, too James, me. James Vincent was another one as well and yeah the I go also, what a lot of people need to remember with with the Kenny Jacket thing and the and the promotion in 2009, which we'll touch on later on after looking through the season. But not many teams. I mean, Neil Harris has done it, so uh, he sort of laid claim to my theory being wrong. But not many teams do the sort of successive um, playoff finals and win the no. second one. You know, Swindon. If you look for an example with them, when we beat Swindon in the final of that year, the next season they actually ended up getting relegated. So not only did he rebuild the club, get get that heartbreak after the Gary Gary Alexander goal that's been shown online recently, but the fact that he sort of sat everyone down, and I believe it's in family. He said, didn't he, at the end of the game, remember this feeling. You you sort of won't go through this again. We'll be be we'll be back next year and we'll win it. And he stuck to his word. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the first thing, I, the first note that I've made to myself here, and the first point, and was Kenny Jacket. And I think another point that just looking at his Wikipedia page, and I think it's probably worth saying as we're, uh, we're at the start of the season, so to speak, is is how good a manager, a general a manager for other clubs too, Kenny Jacket was. Because um, just had a quick flick through his biography on on Wiki, and um, you know he was he was involved as an assistant at Watford, I think, to Graham Taylor, and they won promotion. Um, so he was, you know, at least partially involved in in that promotion. He actually worked with Ian Holloway of all names uh, at QPR as an assistant to Holloway. That's right. And they they were promoted. Um, Swansea didn't get they didn't get promoted, but he won trophies. I think it was the Football League trophy, and he got them into the playoffs certainly, and built the the, the, the you know again turned around a club that was failing like like us at the time. Millwall obviously playoffs and promotion, which is the season that we're going to look at now. And then after us, he's gone to um, a very strange stint at Rotherham, but we'll forget that. Nothing happened there, it seems. And then one promotion with Wolves. He's a very successful manager by lower league standards, isn't he? He struggled at the higher levels, but certainly if you're looking for a man to get you out of League One and get you into an established championship position without maybe challenging for the top, Kenny Jacket is your man, Michael. 
Absolutely. And that's why, as well, perhaps at the start of this season, um, I mean, we I know we discussed it between us, uh, ourselves, uh, you know, in our little chat, but when when the Portsmouth fans were doing the we want Jack out, we want Jack out. And I, I just said, I went, the problem is with these sort of expectations these days is people don't realise that Kenny Jackie is the type of manager who is a slow starter. It always happened with Millwall as well. You know, there'd be a few games where it'd take a little bit of a while to kick in. Um, but now, Portsmouth fans aren't seeing that now. They're only two points, or until football resumes again. You know, they was in a situation yeah. where they was two points off of automatic promotion and uh, they're in the Johnston Payne Trophy final. So they could end up with a League and Cup double from a manager who, what, four months ago they didn't want in charge. I think sometimes teams, I suppose Pompey, uh, Wolves, I mean, and Swansea too, to an extent. I mean, those are big club, big names. Fans have this strange, and I don't really get it, this strange expectation that there's a there's a style of play that befits a club of their standing. And it's, I mean, it's a bit like the West Ham way, isn't it? It's, you know, mm. in the end, for me, a football match is about the result. Yes, you want to watch some decent play, um, but in the end, a 1-0 win beats a beautiful 2-1 loss, doesn't it? It's it's a very strange outlook, I find, and, and you do get it a lot. And I suppose it's Spurs syndrome. There's got to be, you've got to win by beauty. You know, it's, it's not enough just to win the match. No, I, I, I thought it'd be a good way to start because this 2009-10 season is the story of Kenny Jackett. And I think he's a very underrated manager generally for the reasons we've just, just described. He doesn't get the glory, does he? No, absolutely not. Um, and also as well, I think that one thing I always liked about Kenny Jackett, and I know we've discussed it, uh, or one of the things, should I say, but, um, I liked about Kenny Jackett, is that he was always so sort of calm and composed on the touchline, wasn't he? You see so many managers now who who love to show their emotion, they love to show their passion, but sometimes that could be a hindrance to the club, it could be a hindrance to the team if you're seeing a manager sort of panic away and throwing his arms around. And that's one of the things that impressed me when Gary Rowick come in now. He's very, very similar to Kenny Jackett. You'll only see emotion and you'll only see that explosiveness if he feels he is absolutely 100% hard done by. Yeah, he's not a demonstrative manager. Rowett and, and, and Jackett have that, that much in... In a in a similar way, um, would you describe yourself as a demonstrative person, Michael? Would do, do you share traits with the jackets in that sense and the rowets? Would you would you say? Well, um, as, as <laughs> we before, before we recorded, um, my job at the moment is um, and that this current state of affairs, which a lot of people are as well, to be fair, is is relying on me to sort of stay calm and composed and keeping a lid on things. So I do I do try to be like Kenny. Be like well, Kenny. Was it w- yeah, instead of WWJD, which what would Jesus do? <laughs> WWKD, what would Kenny do? <laughs> What would Kenny do? Well, what Kenny did um, was shipped out a few of the names that we've met. we've touched on already. That's that summer time. One of which I've written down here was uh, there's a few, but I didn't I didn't write them all down. But Arkwid Berkovich, who I actually didn't mind, but I always felt he had more in him, but didn't really. So then there's Lenny Pidgeley, who famously went up to Carlisle. Did he get? He was carried out of a club up in Carlisle, wasn't he? Like one bounce on each yeah. on his limb. Which was wonderful, so, yeah. wonderful photo. Um, on, on Kenny's detriment, he did ship out Lyle Taylor, who uh, they, they, on this summertime before 2009-10, who went on to AFC Wimbledon, I think, and now obviously at Charlton, where he's deemed to be the new Pele at Charlton. Um, we we might get him back at some point if ever uh, football uh, resumes. And Danny Sender, who was a very um, 
he was injured, wasn't he, Danny Sender? He, 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 was, um, he, he was injured and never really came back, and he left us in the summer of, of, of 2009. But some yeah. of the, the acquisitions, Michael, we'll have a look at these names like Steve Morrison signed for £130,000 in May 2009. I'd say that's some of the best business I think Mill Football Club ever did, wouldn't you? I was, yeah, I was actually going to touch on the Morrison one before, um, as, as you were leading into it. Um, I actually think that to a point there, because he, he signed Steve Morrison, um, I think it was just before the playoff disappointment with um, with Scunthorpe. And yeah. I actually remember at the time, and I, and I mean, I, 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 as you always know, I always eat humble pie if I'm wrong. Um, you I do, remember when you we do. Steve, yep, I, hope, um, I always remember when we signed Steve Morrison and missed out on promotion. I remember um, Kenny Jackett, or someone in the coaching staff, or someone in that backroom staff was saying about Steve Morrison, oh, well, maybe this was good for Steve Morrison because maybe the jump up to the championship wouldn't have been good enough. And I remember sitting there with my dad going, well, what, what fucking idiot would sign him then if we knew we were going to get promoted? What idiot? Uh, turns out the best thing that ever happened to us. He had a spell in League One. Um, yeah. And I oh, yeah, humble pie because that opinion proved to be right. And then we went up to the championship and then we sold him for what, two and two and a half mil, 2.2 mil, wasn't it? 2.1 million, it shows on the Mill History website. Signed from Stevenage Borough in um, May 15th, 2009. Sold mm. first spell, which is, you know, when he made his initial impact. Sold to Norwich City for 2.1 million. Rising to 2.8, um, I suppose, on appearances or goals or whatever. And that was in June 2011. Um, so signed for 130,000, sold for, I guess, at the end of the day, 2.8. Pretty good business, I'd say. 273 yeah. appearances, 63 off the bench, 92 goals. Um, it's I'd, not too you, bad, is it? From it all forward. Pretty good, I'd say. Pretty good. Um, I, it, people often struggle with the idea that he's a, and, and this word legend is is kicked around, but. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how I would describe Steve Morris. I probably wouldn't put him in the total Mill Legend category, but he's one of our very, very best players of all time. I don't. I think the numbers do the talking there. I can't see how people can. can I know. He, I think because he backchated people a bit in the in the crowd, didn't he? And um, people seem to, you know, resent that of him. But some other names from yeah. that season: Jason Price, JJ Price. Um, not quite in the Steve Morrison category, but a useful enough striker. Um, Jack Smith, remember Jack Smith? He was a yeah, the, the steady Eddie right back. Yeah, steady Eddie. He was functional and um, you know kind of carved out a niche at Mill. Uh, Danny Schofield, um, a very useful kind of like a his class as a midfielder on on the um, uh, on the player list. So I always thought he was more on the, on the wider, but not quite being a winger. But um, mm. the return of James Henry, who had played with us previously. I used to like James Henry. Did you like him, Michael? I did. I did. I thought James Henry was a very, very good little player for us. Uh, and yeah, a very, very good sign. And I was quite happy when that was that was a permanent deal, wasn't it? After he joined on loan from Reading. Yeah, he come the previous previous term and he on on loan, and uh, we kind of made it a permanent deal. But I mean, some would argue that James Henry was erratic, and he was. But then I've always found wingers um, erratic. Um, you know, over 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 time, um, 136 starts, 28 substitutions, 19 goals. He was a he's kind of player that you um, you always look forward to the moment when James Henry got the ball. I remember Paul Ifill back in the day when Ifill got the ball. You never knew what was going to happen. That to me, that's where you go to watch football. 
you, for the for the dramatic, you don't know what's going to come at your next moments, you know. And Henry supplied those for me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And one, and one thing that um, I know that he gets a bit of credit, um, uh, sort of not credit, sorry, I have to say discredit for Kenny Jackson stick. was the yeah. stick. Yeah, was stick. the was the development of the development of the youth. Um, you know, obviously not many players came through the system. He was always no. quite keen to to buy, but. One thing I did like with Kenny Jack, it was he was he gave people time. I mean, I'm I'm looking now and just some stats from Steve Morrison, and um, if if other listeners want to look at the soccer base page of Steve Morrison while we're while we're listening, but his his goal tally up up until the first of December for a centre forward, he only scored three goals and he's played pretty much every game. It was awful, and I and I always remember I think it was a uh, late and Orient away um, when we lost one nil. And I remember it was yep. up front. It was uh, Morrison, Alexander, and Harris up front. And Morrison literally didn't do anything that game. And uh, I remember on the way back listening to BBC London and an Orient fan going, "Cool, if those Millwall fans don't want Steve Morrison, we'll have him." I said, "I'll fucking drive him there, mate." I tell you, because he's absolute <laughs> dog shit. And then, but, but, um, but he stuck with him again. And it, it wasn't just a humble pie; it was two humble pies eaten by Michael that season um, because. You know, he stuck with Morrison when, when a lot of people were giving him stick um, for not scoring enough. Um, and then if you sort of scroll down the rest of the page, you know, there's more ones and twos there than there are blanks. He ended up with 23 goals in 52 games. I mean, that's phenomenal, That considering he barely scored in the first 15, 20 games. Achtung, Mehlball. I mean, yeah, it was a poor start. I mean, obviously the season began... At Southampton, a game that I went to down at St Mary's Stadium. I've never been to St Mary's Stadium. Um, I don't think I've been back there since, actually, but this would be the opening game, so it's a one-all draw. Um, the Jimmy Abdu uh, goal. A rare goal it? from Jimmy, Ab- Jimmy Abdu goal. It was a rare goal. He never never really scored many, but he always seemed to make them, you know, important goals when he, when he did score them. Um, I suppose the first fixture that really catches the eye there would be the West Ham League Cup game, an infamous night in retrospect. Did you go to that game, Michael? Were you there? Upton Park. No, unfortunately, I was not. Was you? No, no, I couldn't get a ticket. I, I think I, I was, I was. Um, I can't remember why now. I think we were away or something like that. But I, I, I didn't get a ticket, and I was back the night it was played, but I wasn't able to get to the game itself. So I've only ever seen the the uh, you know the video footage and the um, the shenanigans before, during, and after. So uh, evening game, when it's summer's evening game after a full day's session in the pub, but. Um, a Neil Harris goal 20 minutes in gave us a lead. Then, obviously, late goals to West Ham. Stanislas, 87 minutes equalised it. Um, and pre- pretty much after that, I think it was probably inevitable that, you know, the, the tide would turn. But I think it was, a, it was a kind of fighting performance that you look for from a Millwall side. And I think a lot of a lot of, of heart was taken from that. But just looking at the results, it did lead us into a bit of a bit of a slump. Two successive defeats, Bristol. 0-2, and then Gillingham away, 0-2, two away defeats, leaving yeah. us at, at the point, uh, this is September, early September, um, when we probably were expecting to, uh, I don't know what the expectations for you for the season were, were you, were you expecting there to be good things that year? I, I, I remember thinking maybe, but maybe maybe not too, and I think my caution was reinforced in early September because we we're 16th in the table. Did you expect much out of the season? Um. In, in truth, I would find it hard as, as a Millwall fan um, not to expect a good season in when you're in League One. I've, I've always said to people who 
who these are more Premier League fans who, who don't obviously look at the lower leagues. I've said being a Millwall fan, not only is it interesting because what the media want to sling at you every five minutes, but um, it's also interesting because depending on what league you're in, um, unless you have a wonder season like we we've had like uh, under Neil Harris a couple of years ago and now under Jack, uh, I'm sorry, Jack, under Rowett, um, you're always in some kind of battle. You're never mid-table. You're always um, in a relegation fight in the championship, or you're always in the promotion chase for the for the League One title. So you, you're never really bored as a Millwall fan. Um, in a you shouldn't either. be. No, you, sh- you shouldn't be. Um, but yeah, but to be 16th, uh, yeah, after what the sort of, sort of by September, yeah, it was disappointing. And then apart from, I mean, Norwich was in the division at the time, weren't they? You had Norwich were there, Leeds, yeah. were there, Charlton were there, Southampton, yeah, yeah. Southampton. But apart from yeah. those four, I think Southampton were focused up that year and they finished 10th, didn't they? But apart from apart from that, um, those four, you'd think well, Millwall should nick one of those other two places, and then bloody a few noses like we did last season, but. On on the, the point you were saying, Nick, about the team being 16, 16, how many other chairmen or balls would have pulled the trigger for a for a team who had who'd finished the season a year before in League One, yeah. uh, playoff final, be one of the favourites to go up and then be 16 after what 10, 11 games in all competitions? I mean, John Beryl had only been in 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 the seat for a couple of years at that point, but you're right. I think it was a an early test for his calm nerve and he held it at the time and, and thankfully you know the rest the rest was history but you're right many others wouldn't have wouldn't have been so patient um now we're combining this this memory down a uh, trip down memory lane dear listeners with an old idea of the listed lion so i'm going to ask you your first listed lion question at this point michael um what was your first Millwall game what were your memories and impressions did you go to the old den? Were you a? Did you? Um... Um, I, I did go to the old den, and uh, in truth, I'll hold my hands up. I I remember going to the old den. I remember going through the turnstiles. I remember being lifted over because my dad didn't want to or pay the money for for the kids, and you know the toilets being flooded and running up and down the terraces. I can't remember who we played against. It was my first time. I was so young. I was, obviously, I was obviously like a really captivated by the by the match, but no, I just I just remember. The aura of the ground, you know, sort of being in the sort of standing area on the halfway line, because because uh, my dad was always like, oh, see, halfway line, mate. We yeah. Over there. yeah. So <laughs> we'd, we'd stand there, and then after a little while, you know, you'd sort of stand there, you'd have your little spot, and then someone would stand in front of you. So I ended I ended uh, many Saturday afternoons with a cold bum sitting on the um, sitting on the <laughs> railings that stopped you falling forward. But yeah, I always remember me and my cousin we was about four or five and just sat there. And that was like our seat for the season, even though we didn't have our seats. Those yellow, those yellow railings, listeners. If you see the old pictures, you'll probably see me on one of them somewhere. They were, they were wonderful. It was, it was as, as they always say, it was, it was a shithole, but it was our shithole. So, exactly. um, wonderful place. Now I'm just looking at the results. Um, we've, we've got disappointing September where we've, we're down by in the 16th, 12th, and 15th um, after a midweek nil-nil draw at home to Yeovil. Um, Gosh, that would have been a depressing game. Tuesday night, nil-nil versus Yeovil. Yeah, I was probably there, but I've erased it. But I do remember this, the spark, when the, the moment when the season started to um, take, you know, take uh, catch fire, so to speak. And it included um, Morrison's first goal, um, I believe, looking through this. I think this is his first goal in the Mill shirt. And that was the famous 5-0 win over Tranmere, which I think 
was the um, the sacking that led to the sacking of John Barnes. I think he was managing them at that point, wasn't he? Tranmere Rovers yeah. five, five nil. Um, yeah. John Barnes and Jason McAteer weren't they? They were the one and two. So I remember McAteer um, was Mac- there. Yeah. Mac- McAteer getting stick after what he did at the Sunderland uh, in yeah. the final. So he oh, spent you... a lot of time in the dugout. Nothing, nothing Mill will love more than the, you know, kind of a, a, a cheeky scouser to um, in the dugout to to have a little dig at, and that was a five nil thumping of Tranmere Rovers and first goal for for Morrison. Other goals that day: James Henry, fourth minute. Uh, Andy Frampton, what an honest player he was. Andy Frampton, he was a big favourite. Um, Murray Wallace reminds me a little bit of Andy Frampton. We 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 touched on this the other day, didn't we? In in our our chat show. Um, yeah. He's got, Got an eighth-minute goal. Um, James Henry. That was Henry Hattrick that day. 27 minutes and 85 minutes for James Henry. And then in the middle of that, a goal for Steve Morrison, which began the, um, you know, the, uh, the the legend that became Steve Morrison. And then wins. Well, the wins followed. We had a good, good October. 5-0 at home to Tranmere. A draw against Swindon. A win at Stockport, um, which I've forgotten entirely. A 4-0 win at Stockport. Uh, and that was a, a Neil Harris hat trick. So it's a good sign when players start getting hat tricks, isn't it? You know. Yeah. Mm. Goals start to flow. I don't I, I don't remember that one. I remember the, the win at home to Leeds. I think we started to build the um, the hoodoo that we seem to have over Leeds at uh, at this point. We, I mean, we'd beaten them in the playoff semi-final season before. That was goals for Neil Harris and Gary Alexander. Building up to um, a strange day um, by November. We were tenth in the table, so kind of middle for diddle at that point. But we had the, the FA Cup first round game, uh, second round, sorry. Uh, Staines. Did you go to Staines, Michael? I did. I, I wasn't at the Staines game, but I did go to the uh, to the game after the uh, Millwall AFC Wimbledon game, and and just go and like what you're saying because that game was right in the middle of, of that run that we had where we were yeah. playing well, but. Even even when we played AFC Wimbledon, I mean they're not the AFC Wimbledon they are now, but they were still a respectable. I think they was in the Conference South when we played them. Yeah, the non-league, non-league side. Yeah. But they was a pretty decent non-league side, and normally with the FA Cup, I always think if you're a League One or League Two side, not just because of uh, where you are of being feared by or sort of being beat by the Premier League and Championship teams, but I think that you're more like you you should also fear those below you because they'll see you as beatable in progression. So to actually so convincingly beat um, a pretty decent conference south side at home 4-1 was was another feel-good feeling, even, even though it was against lower opposition. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I remember us beating them. I, I, I must have been there. I must have seen it. I, I, it's, again, it's another one that's gone from my mind. I do remember the trip to, to Staines, which was an odd day out, because Staines Town are, again, a respected non-league side, but they're not... I don't think they were conference level. I think one of the, maybe what, um, the, the one below it's like National South or something of that kind. Mm. But they, they seem to have, um, uh, they, they have some standing, but their ground was like at the back of a, a sports centre. You know, it was a very strange experience. Um, just looking at the crowd here, I mean, there was uh, three, just under 3,000 there, and it was quite tightly packed. And they had a bloke dressed up as Addy G walking around doing like crowd um you know, interchanges as they walk around the the side. There was one stand on the which was on the back of the leisure centre on the other side. Otherwise, it was pretty low level terracing. Um, and that was a poor performance. One all. Morrison, I think, missed from very close range that day. I think there was a moment where 
I, you know, going back to your earlier point about driving him to Lake Norrin, I think I would have probably, you know, put some petrol money in the cab for 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 the um for the trip to Orient because when he missed from about a yard out, I thought, what have we bought here? It just shows you how judgments can be made in the moment and yet have long-term implications because I would have happily have lost Steve Morrison at that point. I thought the man is non-league and rightly so. Um, but it, it turned around after that. I suppose that's how we came to lose Lyle Taylor perhaps in the summertime because you can take views and judgments and then have to live with the consequences thereafter. We thumped stains in the replay, Michael, 4-0. I remember um, that was quite a reassure. Again, Morrison got a goal there and that seemed to be you know, things started to get easier. Wins at home to Walsh. And then a, a famous game, um, the four-all draw at Charlton, which left us um, eighth in the table at that point, coming into into Christmas. Um, still a strange season. And we're still kind of... Eighth was OK, but we weren't exactly ripping the, the place up, were we, at that point? No, exactly, exactly. I mean, um, I'm... I'm presuming you must have been at the four or uh, at the valley. Yeah, yeah, no, I was, I was there yeah, for that um, one. Yeah. I mean, that was that that was a great that was a great build because we was basically doing there. I mean, apart from the Hartlepool way that's in the middle there, we were doing what every team who should be promoted was doing. We was getting back on track. We was winning at home and getting results away. Um, yeah. And I think that that one there was, even though you said we was eight and we were still a little bit off. For me personally, I'm thinking right, there's some traction here because. Cholton, as we were discussing earlier on, were obviously one of the favourites to be promoted. They tend to be when they're in League One. They're one of the bigger sides. And you think if you can go away to the Valley, concede a penalty, have a man sent off, score an own goal, and they still can't beat you, you know, you must be doing something right. Um, the Norwich game on Boxing Day, um, I'll be honest with you, Norwich were, I believe they was either top or they were near the top of the table. When we played. They were going well, weren't they? Yeah. yeah and, and that was one of those that Let's be brutally honest. You look at the start of the season and you do think, well, we'll be lucky to get anything there. So I think that that wasn't too damaging morale-wise. And then we, uh, and then we get the game against uh, Bristol Rovers two days later, where we win two and we'll get back on track. So I think we was in the right direction. We, the only games we were losing were the ones we sort of expected to lose, or or sort of earmarked as possible losses, and we were winning and drawing the others. I think we showed. I mean, Charlton game I remember well because. It was a back and forth game. It was a four-all draw in the end. You don't see many four-all draws in your football life, and um, you know it was. I think we, we just showed just showed a bit of spine when it was needed because it, you can easily lose a game like that. You know, one more goal, and you, you once you score three goals, you 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 know you start to think you have a almost a divine right to 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 take something out of it. But to concede again and come back again just showed a decent amount of spine in the team. So there, there were good signs as we went into Christmas. For me, but it was still, um, you know, we were kind of on the fringes of the playoff race at that point, rather than showing any kind of, um, you know, outright form. And of course, you're right, Nor- Norwich and I can't remember Southampton. Did they get promoted that season? I can't remember how the division uh, finished. Norwich there. and Leeds got Norwich and Leeds got promoted that season. Norwich sat there top and Leeds seconds. You're right, mm-hmm. um, and Southampton missed out, of course. Um, so now going into the new year, it was it was still you know nothing. Decisive. Another game that immediately catches my eye, and there's some wonderful YouTube footage on the on 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 the YouTube, is the one all draw at home to Southampton on on the 16th of January, cold day, um, and we conceded mm. late, didn't we? It was, it was like an extra time, injury time goal, 
everyone thought that was that because they go one goal down in injury time and we just went straight up the other end of the pitch and equalised um, a goal from Liam yeah. Trotter goal from Liam Trotter mm. um, who was That's signed nice. in the summertime I, I used to like Liam Trotter did you, how did you where did you stand on the Liam Trotter question Michael? Do you know did what you like I was it? literally just about to follow on from there and I said I think that um, Liam Trotter would, was a player that if he sort of played for anyone else at the time um, would have probably got more praise in the sense that Mill will love, as everyone knows, Mill will love a try, Mill will love everyone who puts in 100%. And But there were times when, even if he was, he didn't seem like he was putting in 100%. And you don't, you that just doesn't wash it at them, does it? I mean, he had, the boy had unbelievable talent. There's there's no denying it. And I mean, he, he at times, he was, phenomenal, he was a phenomenal player. I remember saying, um, after that season when we got promoted to the championship, uh, yeah. After a couple of years, I was thinking he could literally walk into any side of the bottom six in the Premier League, and I and I was on his day. If it, you know, when he's performing at his best, I think any team in a relegation battle in the Premier League could do a lot worse than signing Liam Trotter to try and keep him up. Yeah, he real, cost him money, and he's a good talent. Real talent. But he's not consistent. Um, he's not consistent enough. No, we've we've never we've never taken to um, inverted commas lazy players. I don't think he was lazy. He appeared to have that kind of languid style about him. And it doesn't doesn't go at the den for better or for worse. So probably never will do. Um, who's your favourite all-time player, Michael? I'm just digging through my questions here. Who would you... We, we, obviously, Trotter had his, his um, critics. Who would you be your choice of favourite all-time player? Oh, um, I'll tell you what. I'm, I've, we, I sort of mentioned this before, and it, it, it froze some people a little bit. They, I sort of get the sort of raised eyebrow, because obviously, going back to it, I... I grew up with the Keith Stevens, who who was obviously the Millwall icon. Casey yep. Kellers, who who was under, who was uh, I thought underrated, even though Millwall fans loved him. But I'm going to go a little bit sort of left for the field here and say <coughs> Tamika McCander Wire. Wow. Yeah, okay. I, okay. I, I, I just I just remember that when he came. Tamika. In, yeah. Tamika. Yeah. Honestly, and I know um I, I think me and uh, me and Phil Clark discussed this a while ago on Twitter when I said about how good he was and a few. A few people smoked, and Phil did agree that he was a good player, but maybe not as high a praise as I give him. But um, I think that with with Tan, he just he just made it look so effortless, and he made it look so easy. And he was just considering he was a a centre back who was from Hereford and Lake Hereford, Oregon, yeah, you know, yeah. to to sit in to sit in front of a newly promoted Championship back four, completely out of position. And then 46 games later, when you're player of the season and basically say you're one of the best holding midfielders the league has got, if you're like an 18, 19, 20-year-old as I was at the time, you're quite impressionable. I think what a player he was. So it might be nostalgia. Okay. It might be I like the Navy kit. But for me, um, I, thought, I thought he was a very, very, very solid, good footballer. And um, I'll always say that, obviously, if it wasn't for the injury, I think it was a cruciate that took him out of the game. Yeah, um, yeah, he, he, yeah. Would have been, he would have been with us for a very, very long time. And I also think that the season after, because um, obviously we sold Morrison and brought in Darius Henderson, um, yep. I think one of the real reasons why we struggled so much was we didn't have him in front of the back four protecting it as much. I just think he was a very, very, very good, solid player, and I liked him a lot. Yeah, well, I'm, as you say, you said already player of the season in the championship after the promotion of the term that we're looking at at the moment, 2010-11 player of the season. Um, I think it was Cruciate that, that did him in, uh, and I suppose once that goes, especially in a, in a defensive position, you are kippered, largely speaking. But mm. um, good, good choice. I like that. It's an unusual choice. Tamika 
Makanda Weary or Makanda Wire, I don't know how you pronounce his name, but mm. um, nice, nice choice, um, interesting choice. Yeah, um, I always remember with uh, I always remember with Tam as well, um, or Mika or whatever he likes to be called. I always remember with him as well that he, when he got loaned out to South End to recover from his his crucial injury, I always remembered um, Lions Life. They called Neil Harris when he was there. Yeah, they sort of said obviously Tam's down there as he's getting on, etc. And um, I remember Neil Harris saying he's obviously getting back to fitness, but you think this is a, a sort of player who's just recovered from a major cruciate injury, which at the time does injure career. He dropped down to the South End, and even Neil Harris was, was saying he's he's far too good for this level. He, he's he's just too good a player. He's literally tearing up this league, and you think he's only got one knee. That's how sort of good a player he was. Yeah, he no, two divisions with one knee and completely bossed it. It was that that kind of the, the elusive thing in English football, the passing defender, the player, the defender that could uh, do the, uh, the the work, but also pass the ball. And you know, we, we, they're, they're rarities when we find them. So, good choice. I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce you at the same time with your worst ever player, your choice of worst ever player. Who's your Who's your um? We've had a few. Oh, obviously. oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Surprise uh, me! Could, Surprise me! Come could, on. Oh, do you know what? I'm not even going to go with the obvious Gary Taylor Fletchers and Rob Holses and all them. I'm going to go for Kevin Braniff. Braniff. <laughs> Fucking hated him. Did fridge. you really? Did you really? I'm sure he buys his mum nice Mother's Day presents, but couldn't stand the fella. Could not stand him at all. He had a long career at the den. I'm just going to look him up while we're talking and just to see how long it was that he was at, at Millwall because it seemed to go on forever with, with no real end product. We've had a few players like... Um, you know the Thierry Racons and and um, and, um, and and the uh, the other guy, the um, uh, Ungesson. I remember that players like that that um, that kind of on the payroll forever. And Braniff seemed to be around for years. Where is he? He's finally there. He's Kevin Braniff. He was here since um, he signed as it was a youth. Um, signed. We signed him 1921. 1920. Until two... <laughs> when we joined the football league, he came in. Um, no, it was, it was in 2000. He was a, it was a youth product, um, and he left us in 2006, and later joined Portadown, which is back in in Northern Ireland. Um, in that five-year period, is it five? No, it's more than that. It's one, two, three, four, six years. Um, we, we we got just 36 starts, 38 off the bench. That's never a good sign when your bench appearances are more than your starts. And in that time, we've got five five goals. The rarity of a Kevin Braniff goals, like a, a fine wine. So, um, yeah. oh, so he's your, he's remember, your choice. Uh, Worst of all time. Yeah. I remember <laughs> I remember a couple of things as well. When when he scored, um, I think it was Gillingham. I'm sure for some reason it was against him. I think he might have been I in can't the remember any goals he got. He, he, this is how much I don't like him. I, mean, I even see it as a sort of like two fingers up at me every time he scored. So I always remember the game. But um, I remember when he scored against Gillingham. Everyone cheered, and I just sat there, and I just looked at my dad, and I went, "This changes nothing. You still a tosser." It changes um, nothing. <laughs> this changes nothing. Um, and then actually, uh, I remember, I remember a couple of weeks later, he was due to leave, and my dad went, oh, "I'm gutted." I went, "Don't tell me you liked him." He went, "No, I was going to get you a Christmas present. I was, I was going to get you to sponsor him, so you'd have to have a picture, a picture done with him, and a shirt signed." I went, "I <laughs> never, ever would have gone to anything that would have had Kevin Brannick giving me a signed shirt." Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We've mentioned the one all draw against Southampton. That really did spark a run of decent form. Just looking down the results now, we've got wins at Oldham, Southend, Brighton, a win at home to Norwich. That was a big game. I remember that one. Uh, 2-1 win over Norwich, another win against Exeter in League One. Just one loss away at Wickham. We always seem to struggle against Wickham, Michael, didn't we? Aren't They're one of those awkward teams. I remember the old Wimbledon in the old days. We never played well. We never did well against Wimbledon. We don't seem to do much against Wickham Wanderers. Maybe it's a W thing. Um, but that was the only defeat between, between January the, uh, the 16th and Yeovil away, which I went to in April 2010, um, mm-hmm. just one defeat at Wickham. That's a, that's, a, that's a huge run of form, and the goals were flowing, and that included a great win, um, which I, I think is on uh, on YouTube, is the 4-0 win over Charlton at home. Christian Daly, yeah. own goal, classic day. Yeah, sorry, just to backtrack to Norwich, what was so uh, um, memorable about that game, if you probably remember, was when uh, Judas returned, Zach Whitbread, um, oh, is that great, he, he left off, us. He yeah. Off, yeah. yeah, he came off the bench with about 10, 15 minutes to go. Um, <laughs> and I believe, I think he was the last man and technically under the rule then should have given away a penalty. But the referee bottled it and gave him a yellow card. And um, <laughs> I just remember he got absolute dogs abuse, didn't he, that day? But uh, good, old, good old Zach. Poor old Zach. <laughs> um, the win against Charlton was classic. I mean, it was in the middle of a fine period, fine run of form. Um, and again, I mean, Charlton, were, as ever, they seem to not do too badly for a period against us. They were holding their own. I'm just looking at the timings of the goal. There is there is footage on YouTube if you want to check this out. Um, Darren Ward got a goal, 44 minutes, just bang on half time, sending us in 1-0 at the break. Um, and then the collapse, the wonderful collapse with Daly, who obviously had formed from the the uh, 2004 Mother's Day Massacre playing in the, the Claret and Blue, didn't he? He'd uh, scored an own goal that day, scored another own goal for Charlton. And then Morrison uh, with two goals, 75 and, and 81. There's a um, a video on, on, on YouTube, which is um, all the goals, like a splurge of goals. Um, you know, it's just goal on goal on goal on goal. 
but you, when you see those ones, they're fine, fine efforts from from Steve Morrison. Wins over Leeds. That was a great win. A 2-0 away win at Leeds, um, March 22nd. And then a 5-0 at home to Stockport, um, who are floundering. I think yes. they're out, out of the league now, aren't they? I think with, with, with the... Um... With the Leeds game, I think that was if I think yes, that was with the Sean Back goal. That was one where he really nicely cut inside, yeah. put it in the bottom corner. I remember that goal really, really vividly as well. But he he was a good player for us as well, Sean Back. I mean, I know we signed him sort of emergency cover for strikers and wingers, but he was a player who before he got that nasty injury in that pre-season, I think it was against AFC Wimbledon again, um, or it was a very early game. He 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 had a lot of potential to be a good good player as well. I like Sean Back. Powerful, fast player. Um, obviously, you know, um, the injury did his career in, really, didn't it? But no, it was, it was a very honest player. And he's, he's still on on, on, the, on Twitch and he still keeps in touch with people. So, um, good good, uh, good player. Bat, Batman, as, it, as he was known. Um, yeah. 5-0 over Stockport. Um, I mean, again, up until the, the next defeat doesn't come till Huddersfield um, away. A 1-0 loss at Huddersfield. Um, but then wins over Orient and Swindon at home, 3-2 win. That was the last day of the season, which um, left us third in the table at the end of of what had been a great season. I mean, the, the, the run of form after Christmas um, up until until those couple of defeats in, in, in April had cemented us in third place, which is where we finished the season. We actually finished in the table in third place that year. Um just one point behind Leeds in uh, in the automatic spot. So it was it was a fantastic performance given where we were, you know, back in the the Octobers and the Septembers. Um, I think it was a, a real tribute to that squad. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, um, I'm I'm looking at the the results on the uh, soccer based system as we were saying before. There are other good uh, sources of um, information, but um, it's it's like in all. In all competitions, you know, it says here that, you know, you you win 29, drew 18 and lost 10. I mean, in all competitions, including playoffs and Johnston Paint trophies and League Ones and FA Cups, to only lose 10 all season yeah. is, a phenom- is a phenomenal run. And do you think as well, I think I believe in the league, we only lost once and that was against Wickham in the league all season. And that's 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 pretty unheard of these days that you're going into I mean Liverpool are doing it now but well they will do it now if the league finishes but to, to go if it to finishes go in, yeah to go an entire season and only lose one at home is you're you're talking about the great Chelsea teams did that you know the Arsenal Invincible teams did that granted it's a different league but you're, you're only beating your your peers in your division and that's a, that's a fantastic stat which a lot of Millwall fans and Millwall can be proud of um, now one of the questions we ask listeners is your most memorable match um, so we're going to come together now with the playoff <clears throat> moments because I understand your most favourite, uh, memorable favourite match was the Huddersfield playoff game at home, Michael. The 2-0 win. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I'm, I'm not as old as some other fans who, who saw the, the Division <coughs> 1 teams in, in the 80s go down to the den and all these kind of things. But, you know, I, I've, I've been to Old Trafford, I've done Cardiff, I've done the Wembleys and everything like that. But, yeah, that that... That playoff semi-final against Huddersfield was was one of the moments I'll always remember as a Millwall fan. Immense you know, night, absolutely immense night. Yeah. yeah, it really, really was. And I'm not sure about you, Nick, but it, it was really strange when when we made the playoffs that I was just like, I, I don't think we'll get beat. 
you know, I, it was a really weird feeling where I was like, oh, we're going to do it this season. And considering how poor our record had been, to be as arrogant as I was, um, obviously I could have ended up with a lot of egg on my face. When we, <laughs> when we beat Huddersfield, when we went to Huddersfield away and drew, I remember being up there for that game and getting on the coach home and saying to my dad and my uncle, right, that's it, job done. We beat them at the den, we're up. And then it literally happened. We beat them 2-0. And I, I'm not sure whether it's because I had some sort of premonition that we were going to win the playoff final, but it just it made it feel that bit more sweeter as well because you just, like you were saying, just, just so confident. You've had such a good season um, at home and you've had such a good season on the road. You've beat some of the big teams who in the past would have blooded your nose. You've built a fantastic side. You've got your strikers scoring and you've just beaten a team who only a few weeks ago beat you away this is our season and I think that might have made it more memorable than what it was but yeah what what a game what an evening what an evening, what an evening. absolutely electric atmosphere I mean I know that we pride ourselves on our atmosphere at the Den we often take for granted how how loud it is just on a regular average game but my gosh that was a massive night I, I, I think that compared to anything the old Den produced um, and mm. I, I was there for one or two games where as I've said online I remember the, the Back in the 80s, uh, equalising against Forest and games against Liverpool where you, you left the, the stadium with your ears ringing like you'd been at a, a gig somewhere. Well, the Huddersfield game for me was was on a par with that noise in noise terms. I mean, I, I, it's one of those situations where if a team, an opponent, can go to the den in a big situation like that um, and come through it, on the on the on the you know victorious side, you've got to take your hat off to them because not many can do that. Um, and Huddersfield, um, that I think they were just blown away by the um, by the, the noise. It's it's an interesting. I, I mean, you you would have been out on the pitch in your time. You, you you're part of the MSC committee, Michael, so you get to do the the pitch side stuff. But um, when we did the Lions Trust Cup, this is going back a few years now. The first time I'd actually been in the centre circle on the pitch, and you don't realise how enclosed and how close in the, the ground makes you feel out there. It's got got quite a claustrophobic feeling when you're in the middle of it, isn't it? The den. Yeah, no, it really does, and and you can see why you can see why some fans, oh, not some fans, sorry, some players don't don't like the fans and how close they are. I remember, I remember at the start of the season when when Millwall did the uh, big sleepover when they put all the tents in the pit. Yeah, and yeah. we walked um, and we walked in front of the uh, the east stand where, uh, funnily enough, not too far from where Harry sits. And I, I remember saying to a few people there, I was just like, can you imagine playing here with someone like <laughs> Harry Warren screaming at you? <laughs> no, but it's true. It's true. I mean, I remember you know. when... The- when the new stadium was being designed, that the old, you know, obviously the old den had its 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 unique um, atmosphere, in my, in my opinion. Um, I know we're all biased, but one of the things they wanted to achieve out of the move, because it was only going to be a move down, uh, they described it as a goal kick away to the new new uh, site on on Zampa Road, but they very much wanted to capture the, um, the the noise and the atmosphere of the old den. So I think it was designed to be very close, quite steep. Uh, comparatively speaking, so that the views were good, but also I think there was this sense of um, the you know the crowd almost being part of the theatre of it. Or you 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 are on top of the players, and you get a sense of that if you ever get into the centre circle. I'm not encouraging anyone to run on the pitch, by the way, because that will get you banned from the ground. But, <laughs> um, Can you imagine? But, that? Can you imagine? Nick, Nick told Nick me. said so. Yeah, oh, yeah. Defense, 
uh, believe me, listeners, that won't carry any favour out there at all. In fact, Acton Millwall said, do it, don't do it, don't do it. Um, Two nil win and a fine goal for Steve Morrison, who wore the eye. He had his hair like a skinhead haircut that year, but he, he, he um, cut himself, I think, on, on the clash and was wearing that strange bandage, wasn't he? It kind of gave him a kind of yeah, a, right. a warrior, warrior style look, and he scored the second goal that, um, that secured the, um, the the victory and took us to Wembley. Um, sorry, no, actually, it was it was it was Morrison opened the scoring. I'm just looking. Morrison opened the scoring with his bandage, and it was actually um, Paul Robinson who got the crucial goal, as he would get the crucial goal at Wembley um, just a couple yes. of weeks later. Um, decisive, A decisive factor in the season, Paul Robinson, because I remember him getting dug out badly by a fan at Staines all those months before. Seems a long way back from Wembley, all the way back to Staines, but he was a crucial factor in the season, and... One of the one of one of the decades decisive players for Millwall in many respects, Paul Robinson, I felt. Yeah, yeah, um, he's a good pro, and you got to think as well that it's sort of a, a little bit similar to Sid uh, Nelson. I'm not I'm not mentioning anything in the character of him at all, as I don't know him as a person, but very similar in the sense that Robbo got that armband young when we was in a poor side, um, you know, when we was under the Spackmans and the Donaghy's, and you know he wasn't. He wasn't the player who you would think would be the sort of natural successor of the Darren Walls and the Matt Lawrences and those kind of players at the time. So to be given the armband young um, yeah. was a was a bit of a leap of faith, and it could have uh, it could have it could have ruined him um, in truth, but it didn't. And he stood up to it, and he and he really performed. But I'm not sure about you, Nick, with that playoff final. We obviously talk about the miss. I believe wasn't it Charlie Austin who who, who missed when the ball bobbled. The crucial bobble, the, cru- the, 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 the decisive divot and on that breakaway, that did break out of defence. I think we were leading yeah. at that point, weren't we? We were ahead, but um, if yeah. they'd have equalised, it yeah. might have looked a lot different that, that, that day. Yeah, um, and I, I, I don't know about you, though, as well with that, but, I mean, obviously you had the excitement and everyone's waving their flags and they've had a few too many on Wembley Way and, you know, it was great, but with me, it was just that feeling of relief that we finally got back up because I think that with League One, it's, I've, I've always said that the, the sort of promotion from League One is always harder than the promotion from the Championship if you've gone down. Because when you leave the Premier League and you go down to the Championship, you do tend to keep the majority of your squad. You know, your key, key players will go, but you do keep it together because the Championship can arguably match the, the wages to a degree of the lower half of the Premier League. Um, but that drop yeah. from the Championship to League One is so noticeable. And the quality it's, it's is golf. so noticeable. Yeah, I agree. And and to to have gone through, I mean, I'm gonna. It sounds like I'm getting all nostalgic here and sort of melodramatic. But to go through going down, getting that squad that a few years before Nick. Let's remember we had Tim Cahill, we had Paul Eiffel, Darren Ward, as I said, Tony Warner, all these great great players like Robbie Ryan, who was the workhorse, who who got the round of applause. Stephen Reid, Neil Harris's, Paul Shaw's, all these players who for a few years before we had. And then we had that utter dross we were talking about at the start of the phone call. <laughs> I think if we hadn't have gone up that season, how many of those players would have stuck around for another year? Yeah, very true. Very true. Now, I would have expected, when you said the 2009-10 season, for this to be the promotion moment being your favourite ever moment. But you've got a different one, Michael. Your, your favourite ever Millwall moment. Do you want to share that with the listeners, because it's not what I would have expected in this in, in that yeah. way, if you know what. Yeah, I'm um, 
I was I was thinking about this last night, and obviously, you know, on the pitch, I think it, it, on the pitch it would be a toss of a coin either between that playoff final or um, or probably the Huddersfield game, which was one of my favourite moments. But but for me, I'm going as I've said to you yesterday. I'm, I've emailed. I was going to be a bit sentimental. So my um, people who know me well, um, they they know I've got got my my children and stuff like. That. But my eldest was born uh, premature, very early, two two months right. early, and he. Um, and we, we named him Harris, funny enough. I remember saying it's my wife's sort of half tongue in cheek. We should call him Harris after Neil Harris if he breaks the record. And uh, bless my wife, she stuck with it. And so that my, <laughs> my, my boy's name's um, my boy's name's Harris. So he was okay. in the hospital, and my, and my dad uh, he brought. Sorry if I'm going on a bit here. I do apologize. No, 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 uh, no, no. It's nice. But my um, my my dad brought me up a um, a present that he got for him, and he said oh, I could have got him a shirt, could have got him this, could have got him that. But basically, what happened was was through a sort of friend of a friend, um, my dad's sort of message managed to get a message to Neil Harris to say that there's a little boy in hospital named after you so what happened was was Neil Harris um, as the story says uh, went back home to his wife and asked what he should do uh, and they got a photocopy of my oldest birth certificate without me knowing about it and Neil Harris signed it um, wrote follow your dreams and wrote Neil Harris which is obviously you'd think would be That's a lovely nice. touch nice message, a lovely, yeah. lovely touch um, so we've still got it framed in his bedroom there and then at the end of season party last season, I actually went up to Neil Harris and I said, uh, "Like, I'm sorry to bother you. I'm not going to be one of these ones who wants selfies and all that and all." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Just, I, I just, I just sort of uh, uh, just mentioned it to him, and he said to me, he "said Oh, your boy will be about eight now. That was about when I'd done it eight years old." And you think, well, I've not cued him how old my boy is. All I've sort of said to him is, uh, "Like, look, he done it. He remembered yeah, doing it. Yeah, he remembered yeah, it. Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't actually." I didn't actually tell him what it was he signed. He wasn't trying to catch him out, but it was like, oh, yeah, I signed his birth certificate. He must be about eight now. And you think, what a lovely thing that he, he remembers doing it. And that's uh, that probably shows just what Neil Harris thinks of the club, that he goes to that sort of amount of detail. That's a measure of the man, isn't it? I, I think, you know, it's it's always sad when a, a manager leaves. And obviously, you know, towards the end of his days as a manager, uh, he's starting to get some stick, unfortunately. Um, that's football, I know. But... You, you have to step back and look at the bigger picture and stories. I mean, other people tell similar stories as in different ways to that one, Michael. But your story there is a measure of Neil Harris, the man, and the and the the impact that he had on Mill Football Club. Um, I can't think of anyone ever across Mill's history that's had more of an impact on the club than Neil Harris. Um, that's a no, fantastic. No. Yeah, you're right. you're that's a fan- fantastic story. Thank you very much for that. And so. We won the playoff final, obviously, 2010, with that goal from um, Paul Robinson. Stab home from close range of a corner. Um, Schofield corner, if, if I'm in it. Danny Schofield featured at critical moments in that, in that season. And it was a corner in from the from the left. And the ball bounced around, a bit of pushing and shoving. And there was Robbo to, to fire home. But you're right also about that divot. That was a crucial <laughs> played a crucial part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in proceedings later on too, didn't it? Um, yeah, but for yeah. that divot, things might have been different. I think, I mean, I, you mentioned about being confident going into the playoffs. I don't think I was confident. Um, I think you you know, you have to manage your expectations as a Millwall fan. Other people have said that to me. And I think one of the first things I ever learned back in the 70s is you do have to manage your expectations. So I think that I wasn't expecting anything. I was hoping for the best, but expecting the worst, really. But... Um, Charlie Austin's miss was um, was crucial, and so the day was won. Um, it was a strange, it was quite a cold day that day, if memory serves. It wasn't it wasn't warm or sunny, and 
we, it down. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was a tough day. Um, as you say, it was it was wet and um, we we prevailed. Um, first time we'd won at Wembley, and you know, led to a decay where Wembley became our. Um, well, we looked forward to going to Wembley rather than expecting to get beat. So, I think that's a great choice of a season, Michael. I, I, I mean, I think a few of the others probably would have gone through it if they had the chance. But um, we've asked everyone to come up with their favourite season, listeners. So we're going to get different different um, seasons from different people. But um, that's a great choice, Michael, 2009, 2010. Um, just one last to close our, our listed lion um, piece out. Um, you, you're, you're, you've got a nice funny moment here as well, which was um, also Paul, Paul Robinson related, I believe, your funniest moment. Yeah. Yeah, it was it's slightly embarrassing. You know, like when you look at a sort they of always are. It's Millwall. Yeah, <laughs> family of Millwall. When you look at when you when you look at your family, you think, what are you doing? Um, so basically, we'd um, again through this friend of a friend of a friend, we managed to get um, tickets for the exec box for Neil Harris's testimonial game um, yeah. against Hearts, um, and it was a good game, good day out, and you know it was nice for the person to sort of get them for us. Um, and so after the game, you um, you get tickets for the exec lounge. So we went through to exec, and so we, we'd had a fair few pints at that time, as you can imagine. You know, it was a nice yeah, summer absolutely. day pre-season. Yeah. You know, testimonial. Um, yeah, there was probably more more alcohol in my body than blood at that time. So, um, <laughs> so, so I went I went to the bar and um, got a couple of pints. Turned round and I can see Paul Paul Robinson with his head bowed. Right. And my uncle's really angrily pointing at him. And I've gone, oh, what's he doing to the old sod? So I went over there and he went, I'll tell you this now, it's all well and fucking good giving away penalties in fucking pre-season friendlies. But you do that next season, we're down and it will your fucking fault. And I was just like, oh, what is he doing? And then Paul Robinson walked off and had a, yeah, walked off and he had a smirk. And then as I, as I thought said, you, I ended up finish, finishing ninth that year. So I'm not sure if Robbo took it on board. <laughs> what, what my, uh, what we, my uncle said to him. Your uncle claimed that ninth place finish as a result of his pep talk in pre-season. Um, yeah, my, Michael, that's that's fantastic, mate. I really appreciate you taking time out to do this. Uh, interesting to look back over the 2009-10 season. A lot of it, it goes out of your head. It's been really interesting to do this. Um, if any listeners want to do this, we've, we've all—I think—we've all collectively got a lot of time on our hands now, and it, I can't see there being much football for a while yet. So, if anyone else out there is interested in doing um, listed lions memories and that kind of thing, I'm more than happy to talk to you. So, give us a shout on the uh, the email achtungmillwall uh, at gmail dot com or uh, via the Twitter, which is at cbl underscore magazine give us a shout <clears throat> and um we'll get a call together and we'll record it and um hopefully people will enjoy this but i really enjoyed that michael big you know yeah many yeah. many thanks mate um i'll let you get back to work now i suppose yeah thanks mate thanks <laughs> no um no thanks mate. <laughs> I, no i really enjoyed that mate yeah thanks thanks again and everyone who has listened thanks for listening and uh yeah don't give my uncle abuse if you ever see him at home for having a with paul robinson i'm gonna say bye for now Achtung, Mehlball.
mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.